On this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, we discuss the latest news, review some of our recent virtual conferences, and announce some upcoming conferences. In our focus segment, we discuss the anesthesia crisis in ambulatory surgery centers with a lawyer who talked to us about legal and contract issues, and we also interviewed two nurses who provided some practical suggestions to deal with the current situation. Welcome to the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, the longest-running podcast specifically focused on the freestanding ambulatory surgery industry. We would like to thank our sponsors, Surgical Information Systems, providing cutting-edge information solutions for surgery providers. Trivalence. Trivalence offers a comprehensive, next-generation ASC solution that optimizes payment and supply chain performance, enabling actionable data insights. And Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies the nation's leading regulatory and accreditation compliance resource for ambulatory surgery centers. For more information about our sponsors, please visit our website at ASCPodcast.com. Welcome to episode 207 of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey for November 21st, 2023. Recording from our studios in Spencerport, New York, this is Sue Cronkite, co-host of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey and Operations Manager for Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. We would like to remind our listeners that the ASC regulatory environment is a rapidly evolving landscape, and the material presented in this episode is based on the most current information available as of the date of recording. As such, it is important to recognize that this information may be subject to change, and we advise all ASCs to stay up to date with the latest regulations and guidelines issued by the relevant regulatory bodies. Joining me today is John Gailey, the owner of Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies and one of the most respected experts in the ambulatory surgery industry. With over 30 years of experience, Mr. Gailey has authored over 10 books on the ASC industry and is a sought-after speaker and regulatory accreditation and finance issues. So we just finished two live virtual conferences last week. We did the Introduction to Finance and Accounting for Ambulatory Surgery Centers and the ASC Conditions for Coverage and Interpretive Guidelines Conference. None of which had a short title. No, <laughs> but we had great attendance at they those, were, didn't we? They were our second or third most attended conferences in uh, the history of us doing this. So mm-hmm. that, that says a lot. And uh, um, we just had a lot of good feedback you mm-hmm. know, from it, had a lot of great yeah. questions. I mean, that's the nice thing when you have a large audience is mm-hmm. that you, you tend to get a lot of questions. And uh, some of them were, uh, I, I, I really do enjoy it when I get questions that yes. challenge me, you know, and, and uh, it, you know, it kind of, first of all, keeps me awake um, and uh, engaged. And, and it certainly makes things relevant for the audience. So... Mm-hmm. <laughs> So thank you to all of you who attended and participated in those conferences. And, uh, you know, we're kind of uh, back on track to keep offering these uh, one-day intensive uh, conferences. Yep. Um, and uh, for those that attended, uh, the recordings will be available in a, hopefully about a week or two. Um, and we're, we're kind of backed up. We're still getting the uh, recordings out for the, mm-hmm. uh, the director of nursing boot camp that was in uh, early, or in October. And then we also uh, just announced our credentialing, privileging, and peer review conference, which is going to be January 11th and 12th, 2024. It will be, of course, presented virtually, just like the, the other ones. And and uh, this is an update, Sue, to the 2020 conference on mm-hmm. credentialing, and we're adding a lot of new content, particularly in the area of peer review. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those that uh, have been longtime listeners, you know that uh, Sue and I were frustrated in 2020 during the pandemic with the uh, the, the issues that we were having with sending. Uh, who uh, kind of like fell off the wagon when it came to the credentialing. Yeah. And uh, we, we did that, I think it was in December of 2020, mm-hmm. a very popular mm-hmm. conference. A lot of people attended it live and a lot of people uh, have been, uh, uh, you know, purchasing the recording of it, which has mm-hmm. been out there for a good three years. But we felt it was time to uh, redo it. And yeah, Sue, so I was just checking the attendance. We have uh, already, it, it is going to become our 
our second most popular mm-hmm. conference, maybe even our first. We just announced it already. Uh, you know, the attendance is uh, is rapidly uh, increasing. So that that should be a lot of fun. I bet we're going to have a lot of great questions during that conference too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not surprised. It's really it's such an important. Um, you know, subject. And it's complicated for right. people that are just learning about it. So it's really important that you get all the steps right and that you do, you know, you check all the boxes. So I think it's going to be a really popular one. And, and I also think that because it's a conference designed not only to for the people who, you know, kind of oversee credentialing, privileging, and peer mm-hmm. review, but also for the people that are actually working it. So trust us when we say we're going to dive deep into that uh, that topic in uh, January. So that's January 11th and 12th. And for more information, visit our website at asc-central.com. And we'll, we'll provide links in the show notes here to that also. And don't forget our previously announced administrative boot camp is now available to register, and that'll be January 23rd to 26, 2024. And our second ever business office Manager Boot Camp uh, will be held March 12th through the 15th, 2024. And uh, again, you can sign up for all of those at asc-central.com. And uh, Sue, we're still working on the Life Safety Conference. Um, That's something that we know will be a huge hit. Uh, It'll be a full-day conference sometime in the first quarter. Not quite sure when that's going to happen yet. We're still trying to coordinate, uh, do some coordination, but uh, we'll have more information. And that probably will not be uh, a single conference. We're looking at we'll probably do like an introductory uh, conference on life safety, a full day, and then a a follow-up to that later on. Mm-hmm. And we are recording this the week of Thanksgiving. And, of course, we want to wish everybody a, a wonderful holiday. I can't believe that the year is coming to an end and you are already working on the Christmas decorations, I can see. So uh, <laughs> Sue loves her uh, Christmas decorating. So, um, yeah, it is. Uh, it's uh, this this year seems to have flown by, at least for It for has, me. and it's going to be a busy rest of the year, too. So. Yeah. yeah, you've got a granddaughter coming yes. soon. Very soon. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and uh, that's going to be, and I have another grand uh, grandchild coming. Don't know uh, what sex yet, but mm-hmm. uh, she'll be uh, coming in April. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how all that works out. So <laughs> why don't we uh, check in on our recent news? Tell me what's going on, Sue. Okay. Well, first, I just wanted to mention that AORN is having their Cyber Week sale from the tw- November 20th to the 27th. Um, they have 40% off memberships and um, discounts on their books, too. Each book is a little bit different. So check out their website if I you're interested in that. I can't believe that we're, uh, you know, uh, uh, like talking about sales now. I mean, we're, we're, <laughs> where have we uh, gone in this? Uh, but, you know, anything we can do to save you money, of course. And uh, the ARN uh, uh, organization has been a, a wonderful organization to work with over the years. And, of mm-hmm. course, we uh, we do a, a lot. I mean, we use their resources extensively and definitely yeah. want to make sure that you have a copy of the most recent copy mm-hmm. of the ARN standards. Uh, and yeah. uh, and well, the membership is great to have, I think. It is. So I just yeah. figured this probably probably most organizations have at least somebody that has a membership. Right, and you should, uh, especially because of the number of times that we quote or or refer to ARN standards. Mm-hmm. And um, an important subject, I feel like, as we all try to recruit and retain our nurses, there was um, an article on workplace bullying. So according to a recent article in Becker's Clinical Leadership. Workplace bullying, specifically among nurses, is continuing to rise. Per this article, approximately 30% of Americans report being bullied at work, and that number increases to 43% in remote meetings and email. So I guess it's kind of like anything with social media or when you're not face-to-face, maybe people feel more likely to say things that they wouldn't in person. I don't know. Wow. The Workplace Bullying Institute, which I didn't know there was such a thing, also noted that approximately 65% of workplace bullies are in supervisory roles. Bullying behavior can range from incivility to being overtly mean. Historically, I think most nurses know this, nurses have been described as eating their young, quote-unquote, with seasoned nurses taking it upon themselves to initiate new, inexperienced nurses, nursing personnel, much as they experienced early in their careers. And now with the long hours, staffing shortages, high-stress conditions, and the increasing risk of patient violence, um, this has only intensified recently. So allowing such practices can negatively impact the facility by causing loss of valuable personnel during a time of severe staffing shortages. Helping personnel to feel like they belong and are valued can help the facility retain nursing personnel. So to combat this bullying epidemic, the article recommends having policies in place that prevent bullying and harassment, as well as a clear code of conduct. 
A see something, say something environment is highly beneficial to minimizing or eradicating bullying in your organization, along with education regarding psychological safety and encouraging staff to report incidents of mistreatment can really help the facility to hold employees accountable for their actions. Facility leadership must follow up on all claims of workplace bullying and or harassment promptly so that personnel feel heard and continue to speak up in such situations. So for further information, please refer to the full article published November 10th, 2023. And we'll put a link in for that article. That was, uh, uh, that's, that's very interesting. And I, I found it surprising. So when you're talking about how bullying is even occurring, you know, through virtual work mm-hmm. situations, mm-hmm. now that doesn't really happen a lot in surgery centers. I think, you know, for the most part, we yeah. have to, yeah. you know, we have to be there. You know, mm-hmm. to uh, but to emails and things. I yeah, think sometimes it's just like you said. We people, if you're not face to face, sometimes people just yeah. feel empowered to say things that they know isn't right and that they wouldn't say in a you know more personal face to face situation. But it's you know, still just as hurtful. Yeah, right. And it comes to mind too uh, in episode two hundred six, which was the special episode for the um, uh, Washington State Association. Mm-hmm. I talked about Barbara Harmer's uh, speech. She mm-hmm. did a great mm-hmm. speech. I think it was called "Nurse Manager Accountability." Yeah. Uh, a nurse manager is more than a title. And and if you have a chance to listen to it, it was it, we didn't have an opportunity to do actual interviews there, so I had to paraphrase the woman mm-hmm. uh, who is a good friend. And uh, it was uh, it, I, I hope I did her justice certainly. <laughs> Uh, but she talked about the importance of, uh, you know, good leadership, strong leadership, yeah. and how often people get very frustrated in mm-hmm. the job. And fi- and I think that's what ultimately leads to, you know, this bullying is that if they're mm-hmm. they're not happy, they take it out on, on their coworkers. Yeah. So, no, there is still that, you know, eating their young issue issue where mm-hmm. they feel like everybody has to go through what they I all know, do. I know, I know, and it's young. so strange Did you ever experience me. that in your— I didn't, but I was in pediatrics, yeah. which I really think, because even the doctors, where when I was in the hospital in pediatrics, the doctors even treated the nurses with a lot of respect. Yeah. It's almost like they were afraid not to, you right? Because they knew they really relied on them. But I know in some, I know in labor and delivery, I've heard that a lot, right. which surprised me too, because I had always thought that'd be sort of a warm, fuzzy environment. But yeah. um, you know, so I think in a lot of situations it is there. But I just, I, I was fortunate not to, for the most part. Yeah, I, mean, I think there it's, are a couple. But, yeah, I think it's know. important, as, as you were saying, you know, in today's environment where it's hard to recruit nurses in the first place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're, we're competing, you know, with other organizations. And the word gets out. You know, everybody yeah. knows, you know, where the good places to work, where the, mm-hmm. you know, it's not mm-hmm. it's not published anywhere, but it's certainly known in yeah. the community. Yeah, and whether you, you it's other nurses or it's your doctors. Right. You, just, you, you want people to feel comfortable and, and not be afraid of, you know, one person can really change the whole dynamic. Yeah. And I saw um, Medtronic and Covidian have both reported laryngoscopes, um, which were meant to be discarded or sold as scrap metal, um, have been stolen. So I guess they had these, you know, sitting stored somewhere being ready to be scrapped and they were stolen. These instruments did not pass safety tests and they were not meant to be sold. Some of the devices have been listed for sale on social media sites such as Facebook Marketplace Um, The FDA has posted a recall for these instruments, and they stated all the defects and failure modes um, are not known to the firm because they were stolen from the intended scrap. As such, it is not possible to rule out the major failure modes that may lead to inadequate airway support, cardiopulmonary arrest, and death. The companies involved are urging healthcare providers to purchase only from authorized distributors, which you would think is obvious, but I have heard people mention before, like, oh, they got a good deal on something, and and they may figure it's from, you know, this named from this one company. Right. But if it didn't come straight from them or another reputable person, you really don't know. I mean, I've never heard of this before, but yeah. I, I guess. Yeah, I, I have visions of people buying things off the back of a truck in the middle of the night. I know. You know I, I, I certainly hope that we're all buying from legitimate sources. But again, yeah. you know. I, well, but this was Facebook, not that yeah. Facebook is legitimate. But, I yeah. mean, it was, you know, posted and people probably figure, well, you know, they're they're here, they're posting it, they can't right. be hiding anything, but obviously. Well, and we've heard issues be. with, uh, you know, people buying things off of eBay. And again, yeah. eBay, yeah. you know, does a wonderful job, but, um, you know, but they're not, Your you know, there's nobody vetting, yeah. vetting the, the, uh, the seller. Mm-hmm. And according to an article from NPR, um, November 2nd, the drug shortages are still a major challenge for health care. The American Society of Health System Pharmacists 
reported there are 243 different drug shortages as of November 1st. Although the numbers have improved since the summer when the shortages were at an almost 20-year high, some pharmacists are saying the situation is worse than they've ever seen it before. One of the worst things about the situation is the types of drugs that are in short supply. Um, and these include oncology drugs, which that are commonly used in chemotherapy, and some medications used on crash carts. So we've also seen a shortage of steroids that are used in joint injections for pain control. So some really you know, important medications. So a survey by um, the ECRI, or ACRI Institute, found that these shortages were affecting patient care in several ways. Healthcare workers reported having to use less effective drugs in some cases or having to delay care. Nearly a quarter of the respondents were aware of at least one medical error related to medication or device shortage in just the last six months. Many healthcare organizations are also having to spend more money to get the medications that they need, if they're even available. It is surprising how much one event can affect the supply chain. It can be the packaging, the vials, or just one ingredient that's used in a lot of different medications. One example is the North Carolina Pfizer plant that was damaged by a tornado in July. This plant makes almost 25% of Pfizer's sterile injectables that have been used in the U.S. Many of these medications were already in shortage, so imagine then losing yeah. 25%. That's frightening uh, how uh -huh. much we are dependent upon, you know, single source uh, suppliers too, not just because, you know, this is yeah. just one company that, that's doing this, but, you know, not having a lot of competitors, of course, is not good for our industry either. And again, when it's like the patching, because there was something where the normal saline for a while nobody could get, and you think, well, salt water, why can't you just yeah. get that? But it was the bags and, you know... It, you have a hurricane someplace or, right. or anything like All that. All those so, things in the supply chain. Yeah, uh, and when, when yeah. one place makes so many of something, it, it really can affect it. Um, there really weren't any answers to the problem in the article, but, of course, we recommend keeping a decent supply on hand without having so many that you risk um, them expiring before you can use them or, you know, make them in more short supply for other people. And from a safety standpoint, be very careful when having to change the concentration or the form of a medication that you commonly use or switching to a new medication that your staff, uh, make sure that your staff is well-trained and the new medications are clearly labeled. Of course, reach out to your pharmacy consultant for help with any shortages you run into. Sometimes they can suggest another source or can help you decide on a similar drug that would work for you. Yeah, and and I think uh, that emphasis on pharmacy consultants. I know not all states require pharmacy consultants, mm -hmm. but we have found they can be very very helpful yeah. in these situations because they have a tie in to the industry and they'll know yeah. what's going on. And and you know I think another point I want to make is that with the the supply shortages, um, especially with drugs. Uh, people are, you know, purchasing alternative drugs that they might yeah. not be familiar with, might not be familiar with the packaging, might not be familiar with the mm -hmm. doses. Uh, yeah. And again, I, you know, I have to emphasize again when I am uh, doing a survey, making sure that when you pull the the, uh, the injectable out of the mm -hmm. the vial, that you are, you know, really labeling carefully, yeah. uh, and making sure that you know the person who drew it up is is recorded there, you know, with their initials yeah. as well as the time that they pulled it up. Because especially if it just changes <laughs> the concentration, yeah, you know that that can be very confusing if it looks similar to the medication you were using, or it is the same medication but a different concentration. It'd be very easy to overdose or underdose. Right, and and I've actually uh, been peripherally involved in some lawsuits that. Mm -hmm. Have resulted from uh, some of these things as an expert witness. So yeah. um, it is, and it, and these are surgery centers. So these do happen uh, even in our environment. And speaking about things that happen in a surgery center, uh, Sue, so I was reading uh, an article. It's actually from June of uh, of this year, mm -hmm. uh, but I thought it was kind of important to bring it up just because of some lessons we could learn from it. So a, a former nurse was ordered to prison for stealing fentanyl. Uh, at a Florida outpatient surgery center. And this was reported in an online newspaper called TC Palm, which is affiliated with USA Today. It was an interesting article. And so here's what happened. A former registered nurse char was charged uh, uh, in the previous year, in 2022, with tampering with drugs while working at a Florida outpatient surgery center. And she was ordered to federal prison for four years after the judge rejected her families and her pleas for leniency. So they had said, you know, this is, you know, something that, you know, she promises not to do again. But but she did have a history of drug abuse. And unfortunately, that that history included uh, activities within 
um, you know, the healthcare field. And so the U.S. District Judge also sentenced her to serve an additional three years of federal supervision after she was released from that four-year prison uh, sentence. And she was accused in, in a federal indictment of switching vials of fentanyl for saline which were intended to be dispensed to patients for the purpose of pain relief during medical procedures. And according to this article, the indictment claims that between February and April of 2022, then replaced the fentanyl with the saline and returned the adulterated uh, vials to be used during a medical procedure, um, which, of course, had an impact, I'm sure, on the patient's oh, yeah. uh, you know, pain relief. Mm-hmm. Uh, she did plead guilty in uh, April of 2022 to a count of tampering with a consumer product, and her theft was discovered after staff found a box of 25 vials were missing. I mean, the pain control issue obviously is main thing, but also, you know, how careful was she? Like, is there an infection control risk right. here because she was putting something in there that wasn't supposed to be and she was accessing it? And then how... You know, who knows how long it was then stored after that. Right, and, You know, there's right. a whole lot of scary things. Well, and there's just so many other questions I have is like how did people not, dis- you know, realize that she had popped the cap on it? You know, yeah. she would have had to True. have put it back. So, yeah. so yeah. but but I, I, I think the reason that I wanted to bring this up again, and I know we've talked about drug diversions and we just talked about a couple episodes ago, is just that we need to realize that this is happening in surgery centers. It could happen in your surgery center. It's happened in some of our 80 surgery centers that, you know, Ambitory Healthcare Strategies uh, works with. And, you know, we have wonderful staff. These are, you know, these are not poorly run surgery centers where this happens. It happens in organizations that you probably least expected. And by the way, it happens among people that you almost always least expect to do it. So So if you noticed, obviously, one of the first clues would be if patients don't seem to be getting the pain control. And if it's one person you don't know, do they just have a lower pain threshold? But if you begin to see that, you know, kind of a pattern going on. Well, and that's that makes a break. You know, our my my passion, your passion is quality improvement, and these are the types of things we are monitoring, and we just can't take them in a lax attitude. You know, we should be monitoring these things, and uh, and you know, investigating further if you have uh, if you have some suspicions. So um, hopefully, everybody uh, can. I think what was also surprising is that he gave her an actual prison term. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's a lot of time in prison, yeah. four years in prison. Yeah. But, um, um, you know, so yeah. I, so I think you should be educating your staff on these things. You should be talking about, um, you know, how to how to uh, identify a, a potential problem. And, of course, make sure your impaired uh, provider, right, impaired uh, employee uh, policies are, are up to date in this area. Yeah. So we, we know that the anesthesia crisis, as we now call it, is getting worse, and ASCs are already starting to confront issues that include a shortage of anesthesia providers and an increase in the number of anesthesia groups that are requesting stipends or additional uh, money beyond what they're getting paid by the insurance company or the patients. And these issues have been widely discussed in, in recent state association meetings. I think I've been to about four or five uh, association meetings, and that certainly is something that is uh, is being talked about both during you know sessions as well as in between sessions. So for this interview, so for this episode, we uh, we decided to, to show two interviews from recent meetings: an interview with an attorney that provided a legal overview of the anesthesia contract I- issues, and an interview with clinical leaders in a New Jersey ASC who talked about some practical ways that they are addressing their anesthesia challenges. So let's take a short break, and when we get back, we'll talk about our anesthesia crisis. With the rapid changes occurring in the ASC industry, the exodus of experienced ASC administrators, nurse managers, and business office managers, there is an increasing demand for quality leadership education. That's where our industry-leading boot camps come in. In 2021, we introduced our administrator boot camp and the director of nursing boot camp, and in 2023, the business office manager boot camp. These boot camps have become the industry standard for ASC leadership training, and with over 225 graduates, lead the industry in mentored virtual training. Live virtual training for the administrator boot camp occurs every January and July, and the director of nursing boot camp is October and May. Our new business office manager boot camp will continue in the spring of 2024. There are also on-demand versions of each boot camp for those who simply can't attend the live virtual programs. 
All boot camps, including the on-demand boot camps, include access to resources, membership in the ASC Central Patron Program, copies of John's latest books, access to credentialing, conditions for coverage, and other recorded training programs, and of course, our regular drop-in Zoom sessions where you can ask questions and interact with other patron and boot camp members. Our programs also include AEU credits for those that are CASC certified. Our programs are comprehensive and taught by the nation's leading ASC experts and are designed for all levels of leadership, from experienced leaders who want to enhance their skills or pass the CASC exam, or those who are new to the industry and wish to learn how to run an ASC. For more information about our live, virtual, and on-demand programs, visit ASC Central at asc-central.com. Or you can call us at 585-594-1167 or email us at info at ASCPodcast.com for more information. As we noted in our first segment, we know that the anesthesia crisis, as we now call it, is getting worse, and ASCs are already starting to confront issues that include a shortage of anesthesia providers and an increase in the number of anesthesia groups that are requesting stipends. I I have attended a number of state association meetings this fall, and it seems that a major topic in all these meetings is anesthesia. In fact, a lot of the discussions between sessions and during the lunch break seems to be centering around uh, complaining about their problem and the the difficulty they have in resolving it, as well as how few solutions there tend to be out there. Uh, In talking to many of the experts who have been studying the anesthesia situation, we're being told that there really is no quick solution. It was noted that the education system is just not producing enough new anesthesia providers to cover the loss of providers to retirement and and providers simply leaving the field. And while we do see an increase in the number of anesthesia, people going into the anesthesia profession, it could take really a decade before they're fully uh, able to, uh, to resolve this issue. And we're already hearing that some surgery centers have had to cut back on cases or or move their schedules around in order to accommodate the situation. We've even talked about things like even conscious sedation, like nurse mm-hmm, administered mm-hmm. conscious sedation might be a solution to it. But, you know, we recently had a situation in, in uh, Pennsylvania where the, the Department of Health in Pennsylvania has actually told a surgery center that they cannot do conscious sedation anymore or nurse administered conscious mm-hmm. sedation, well, which will just exacerbate an already difficult situation in that state. So for our uh, focus segment, we pulled two interviews that we've done uh, during state association meetings over the last uh, two months uh, related to the anesthesia situation. So our our first interview was with Mark Beckman, an attorney who talked about some of the contractual issues surrounding anesthesia. And we recorded this interview during the New York State Association meeting of ambulatory surgery centers in October of 2023. I'm here at the New York State Association of Amatory Surgery Center's annual conference in Albany, New York, and I have Mark Beckman here with CCB Law. I have a long history with CCB Law, and my dear friend Bruce Smith, uh, who I've known for many, many years, could not make it because I understand he's got a big birthday right now. So, uh, yeah. so he he assigned you to do this. He so. did. I think he's... Uh, on a camel somewhere in the oh, Sahara Desert. Well, that sounds like, that sounds like a lot of fun if you like deserts. If uh, that's what you're into. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, when I when I talked to Bruce and you and I hadn't actually talked directly, but when I talked to Bruce, I said, "Give me a fun title for probably a boring." You know, a topic. It's not going to be boring, but oh, no. the it, it could. The world is fast. <laughs> That's right. So uh, he came up with the title "No Gas, No Cash: Adventures in ASC Anesthesia." So, and what we're talking about now, we've been talking during this entire conference so far, and it's only half a day gone about the what we're referring to now as an anesthesia crisis. Uh, we know that uh, you know anesthesiologists, anesthesiologists are short supply. Many of our surgery centers, maybe I'm assuming many of our listeners are are getting notices, you know, to uh, that they're no longer going to have the support of the anesthesia group they had before. So looking alternatives, or looking at opportunities out there uh, to change their existing models, and sometimes they're being forced to do that. So that that's where you come. Hey, so, yeah, and I wish we had answers. Yeah, uh, we, 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 I guess that's one thing we should state. We're fielding right? more questions than having answers at this yeah, point. Yeah. Um, uh, and and <laughs> I think it's a testament also to how fast the world of healthcare can yeah. change. Right. It wasn't that long ago uh, where the rules were reversed. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, and also, uh, you know, different specialties are are feeling it differently. Right. Right. Uh, and so some of the models that would work for orthopedics may not work for uh, 
cataract surgery center. Yeah, yeah. Because of the reimbursement for the phys- the anesthesiologist there. Well, and, and it varied. So, and, and you know, yeah. the case mix is so much different. You know, for orthopedics than it yeah. would be for, let's say, a surgery a center that does cataracts all day long, right? And so the, right. the variance is very different. So you might use a different model to address that situation. Yeah. So, so many, many of our listeners really don't understand you know, the, the financial model behind anesthesia. And for that matter, they might not have ever been involved in negotiation of the anesthesia contract. Uh, and that it never becomes an issue until the until day, it is, right. right, until it is. Um, so they didn't spend a lot of time reading those contracts, you know, finding out how, how long they would have to find another anesthesia provider. So um, so that's why I think, you know, we, we've approached this from, you know, the anesthesia provider standpoint, tell us what's going on with your, their side. You know, from the administrator standpoint, what happens when you get the notice? And now with you, we're dealing with it really from the legal side. Well, I think it's a great point, though, that you make is that so many of these contracts were entered into years ago, put in a drawer, and nobody ever looks at it. And and when you know the market is changing, it's not a terrible idea to pull out some of those contracts. So you're aware, and it can at least act proactively if you need to. Uh, If there's an opportunity for planning, you, you know what it is. Uh, uh, unfortunately, you know, in, in our business, we are often dealing with uh, addressing something that's already happened. Yeah, and and it's you know, too sometimes late. nothing you yeah. can do about it. Okay. And 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 so if you can at least take action in advance and and maybe address some of these contracts in a way that gives you more protection yeah. for the roller coaster that we're all on, that might not be a terrible idea. So let's start with that is because even those organizations that are not going through an anesthesia crisis yet, you know, there's a good chance that they will in the future when they're looking at that contract, what should they be looking at? Even, even if there's, if they recognize just because they know they can't change, it doesn't mean they don't look at it and understand what the risks are. What are they looking for? Well, one of the things I know um, is a common misperception, for example, is, uh, you know, I have a five-year contract. Yeah. Well, what does the termination provision say? Yeah. Right? Is the termination provision say that that any party can get out of it on much less notice, sixty days, right. ninety days, hundred twenty days? That's the real term of your agreement. Yeah. Right? Uh, the days of a no cut contract, if you would, are, I think, are over. Yeah. Um, and then uh, there's also some of the more objective versus subjective uh, provisions that you might want to take a look at. So. Uh, as an example, do you have other opportunities to um, ensure that the anesthesia services are going to be acceptable to your surgeons? You yeah. know, are they? Is there a clause, for example, that requires the anesthesiologist to work harmoniously? And that's a very subjective term, mm-hmm. harmoniously with the surgeons. And what happens if they don't? You know, mm-hmm. what, what's your recourse? Uh, disruptive physicians. That's a yeah. that's a real issue in healthcare. And, um, you want to be prepared for the what ifs in that respect. You know, can, you know, even if it's not a breach of the agreement, do you have some rights? Yeah. Well, and you bring up an interesting point, interesting point also from, uh, you know, from that standpoint is that, uh, what happens when, uh, the doctors disagree about the care of a particular patient or they feel like the anesthesiologists are being too strict about the, you know, the, the, uh, the patients that they want to be seeing at the surgery center. Those are things that should be dealt with in that yeah, contract. That's a big issue. And, and, and also depends on who, who's the supervising physician. Sometimes yeah. uh, the surgeon has taken on that responsibility. In that instance, they obviously mm-hmm. need to ensure that they have the last say because right. they're ultimately the responsible, you know, with a CRNA, for example. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When they're not, when, when Which you don't is have very common, system, right? Yeah. So, so talk a little bit about some of the, or talk a lot about <laughs> some of the other models that are out there. You know, the traditional model is that you, uh, you, you don't even hire you, you have a contract with an anesthesia group comes in, they provide anesthesiologists and you don't, I mean, that's kind of it, you know, they, right. you know, you've appointed a, a chief of anesthesia and uh, everything else is taken care of, but that world is changing very right, like dramatically. In a, in, a, in, a, in a traditional hospital, right? Yeah. There'd be the surgeon comes in, he does his thing. The anesthesiologist, she comes in and she does her thing. They really yep. don't have a relationship, uh, a contractual relationship with each other. They're right. just members of the same medical staff. And they're both billing independently Correct. and there's no, uh, right. there's no financial relationship. And so it wasn't either. that long ago that, you know, in some specialties, for sure, the um, surgeons were wanting to uh, own 
a anesthesia practice yeah. right, separately, or they were managing that practice for a mm -hmm. fair market value fee. Um, now, as, as you know, it's, it, the tide has turned a little bit. And, and, and so one of the things that I would suggest is, can you make your anesthesiologist your partner, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and feel like your partner in some way so that whichever way it ends up going in the next five years, you're in it together. Yeah. Um, but, but some of the models would, would include fixed subsidy. They mm -hmm. would include income guarantees. Right. They would case guarantees. Uh, recruitment assistance, you yeah. know, all of which have to be properly documented and evaluated mm -hmm. for fair market value because of uh, anti-KPAC statute right. concerns in particular. But uh, th they can all be done if done correctly. Yeah. And uh, and having a lawyer involved as a trusted advisor throughout this whole process always, is important. <laughs> always. <laughs> you would never hear me say no, otherwise. No, I know. But, but honestly, we would rather yeah. be in a position where we're your partner also. Yeah, right. right. And that we may not have the answers, but we can help walk you through yeah. the issues and we can talk about them together. It, you know, too often we're, well, this happened. Now what do That's I do? Right. That's right. I say, well, it's too late to do yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I mean, there's always something that can be done, but, you know, you'd rather be proactive than reactive always. So there's, there's, you know, a lot of conversation right now about, um, about the movement away from anesthesiologists since they're so hard to find and then movement movement towards CRNAs, which by the way, they're hard to find too. Mm -hmm. you know, this, but, um, you know, but many centers have relied on anesthesiologists over the years and have had to consider changing that structure and perhaps not even ever having an anesthesiologist involved. Maybe the, like in the state of New York where, you know, we're talking right now, um, you know, the, uh, the CRNA has to work under the auspices of a physician, be it an anesthesiologist or the physician, the operating room physician. Right. Every state's going to be different on that right, issue. Right. You know, now in New York, technically, um, to my knowledge, there isn't a, uh, ratio that's specific, that's, yeah. but the insurers, you know, are changing those ratios. So yeah. where it might've been one in four for certain insurers, mm -hmm. maybe now it's one in three. Right. And so that's going to also dictate the market. Right. And I, I also should uh, mention here, whenever you're making any changes to the anesthesia services that you're offering, you need to make sure that your malpractice carrier is well aware of, of that, too. It's one of those things that they kind of the last thing they think about. And then, you know, you well, never I, want to run yeah, into a situation. It's you say that because I fielded a question at the conference today about that. And it's not self-effectuating, right? It's yeah. your responsibility to tell them right. typically under your contract. They, yeah. They're only going to know what you tell them yeah. and then they will hold what you don't tell them against you. That's right. Well, this happened back in the day when we were doing uh, LASIK surgery and surgery centers. People just said, well, it's just a natural place to start doing it. Let's just start doing it. And then they found out that, well, they never not notified the insurance company and they weren't covered from a malpractice standpoint for right. that. You want to avoid those situations. So, what do you think we're heading? If you know, uh, you're going to notice that the uh, anesthesia group is is pulling out, and they say we're going to whatever that term says. You know, whatever that contract says, yeah, it doesn't matter whether it's 30, 60, 90 days. Ninety days might still not be enough. What what are, what do they need to be doing? Um, you know, to protect themselves. I, I mean, one thing obviously is make sure they look at that contract first. But well, I mean, again, if you can lock them up, right? Yeah, if yeah. you and, and this is where you'd rather negotiate while you're still friendly, Friend, yeah. than than not, where or they've gotten a better opportunity somewhere and it's too late. Mm -hmm. uh, so maybe lengthen those terms, lengthen those uh, notice provisions, and sweeten the pot a little bit. Yeah, you know, yeah. uh, again, talk about expansion, talk about recruitment assistance. You know, if yeah. you're seen as their partner, maybe you'll you'll gain some goodwill that way. The other thing, one of the things that I, uh, I don't know what the future is going to hold because of. Uh, what's going on at the federal level with the FTC. You know, we mm -hmm. are seeing some heightened enforcement mm -hmm. against um, some national anesthesia company providers, maybe whether they're in um, private equity backed or, or otherwise, where if they've been asserting their uh, market leverage mm -hmm. to the point where uh, insurers get upset. Yeah. The first place they run is to the government and cry any antitrust. And we yeah. are seeing there was a case just um, a couple of weeks ago uh, reported in the New York Times and in, in Texas about the FTC bringing an actual lawsuit now against I think it's uh, U.S. Anesthesia Partners mm -hmm. and and naming their private equity backed. Um, um, 
back, you know, transaction partners. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even though uh, the cases in Texas, the private equity company was in New York. And so oh. we're going to see some news about that as well. And yeah. I think I was at a conference last week with a lot of DOJ and OIG people telling me to expect more of the same. Yeah. So yeah, you're so definitely- that might change the, the market again. Right. What do you, so what, what are you seeing with regard to uh, ASCs and the, uh, the owners of the ASCs, you know, uh, hiring ASCs or CRNAs directly? Um, is, you know, what, what is the complexity of that? How does that work? You know, is that an option? Is it a viable option? What risk might they have? It's, it's definitely a viable option. But, you know, the other thing that you're seeing at the same time is um, restrictive covenants yeah. maybe going away. And so, you know, where you before might have been able to uh, take more advantage of that, you know, they're going to play the market just like anybody else. Yeah. And you're not going to have the ability to as easily lock them up. You know, the, you know, yeah. employment is just that it's, it's for as long as I want it to be. And right. if I don't want to work for you, even if I have a contract, no, no court is going to make me work them. for you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the price is going up and, and price we is know, going up. yeah. Absolutely. And we, we, we saw it. One of our centers, they just finished negotiating a contract, hadn't signed it yet. And the CRNAs came back and said, by the way, we're leaving. <laughs> and because we just offered $50,000 more a year, what are they, what are they going to do? Well, you know, come up with $50,000 right. a year and renegotiate the contract you already negotiated. So, so you, you know, the only potential recourse in some of these areas would be if you have a longer term contract, whoever hired them yeah. might be in tortious interference with your contract. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Yeah. The concern I also have is that it's easy to get angry at what's happening here. And that's just not going to solve the problem. We've got, you know, we've got to remain partners you know, try to build up that relationship beforehand, make sure that you're not ending up calling a lawyer next for that. But I have that lawyer first, right. make sure you have a good contract. Uh, or, in you place know, and, and again, we, we pride ourselves on being the type of lawyers that we would help you with your business decisions before they become legal decisions. Right. That's a very good point. Yeah. Always look at those. Uh, we've been talking a lot about in our, in our company and in the podcast about certain agreements. This is a little bit off topic right now, but you know, the medical staff bylaws, the operating agreements, which I'm sure you work on in, in your career, the, those are documents. I'm often pulling them out for, your, for new clients. And I say, my God, this, this hasn't even been looked at in 20 years and you're not doing anything close to what it says here. So mm-hmm. be very careful. I, I, Absolutely. And they'll be held against the center as well. Right. Absolutely. Right. And, and sure. it's tied when, in when you're trying to enforce, you know, some of those medical staff expectations. Yeah. Exactly. I think the medical staff bylaws in particular, and those are the ones I find that are often just completely forgotten. They throw it in a drawer and they don't look at it for 20 years. The operating agreement, because it involves the relationship between the partners, you know, that's a little bit more current, but the medical staff bylaws, which totally affect what's going on with right, the NCC group. You know, we, we only did them because we we're obligated to do them, not that's because right. we care what they say necessarily. And so we just got something off the shelf, which right. is not helpful, right? And they you know, might not have even gone through a lawyer, that's for, right, frankly, right, often. Yeah, right. I find that so. Or, 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 or even more importantly, they're not, they're not customized to your situation. Yeah, yeah. yeah right? I've seen that a lot. Always thinking about our situation or, you know, we use the term living document all the time. Yeah. So these governing documents should be seen as something that should be reviewed regularly right. to make sure that they still meet your needs. And here's my recommendation of what we're doing with inventory healthcare strategies. We're, we're encouraging our, our uh, listeners to do this also is include in the annual things you're looking at on an annual, you know, you have to look at your policies and procedures. You have to, you know, look at your quality improvement program, risk management, et cetera, including that a look back on your, your medical staff bylaws and your operating agreement, make no, sure would, you're totally would, in compliance. I would agree with that. Yeah. And, and work with your lawyer. Yeah. Course, I mean, it may not be a compliance thing, but it, it, again, it goes to what problems are, are you trying to anticipate to avoid? Right. Right. Thank you so much, Mark. I really appreciate your time. This has been fun. It's been my pleasure. Thank, Thank you, you for having me. Next, during the uh, New Jersey Association meeting, also in October, we spoke to Jessica Ball and Elizabeth Convery uh, about how they were coping with the anesthesia crisis. And they are uh, responsible for clinical supervision of an ASC in New Jersey. And I just found their their discussion very interesting because it really wasn't uh, a negative conversation. They were actually talking about some of the positive things that came about as a result of uh, having to cope with this problem. So let's listen to that interview now. I'm here at the uh, fall conference with the New Jersey State Association, and uh, we're in Inglewood Heights, right? Is that where we are? I believe so. Okay, yeah. I don't even know. Right off the parkway. At least we're all together. (laughs) That's all that matters, even though we might be confused as to where we we are. Uh, I'm here with Jessica Ball and Elizabeth. 
Bond, and uh, um, they are going to be speaking very shortly on the anesthesia crisis, which we've discussed quite a bit on the podcast. And it seems to be, uh, just forget Elizabeth, it seems to be the hot topic right now at all the state association meetings. Absolutely. So give us a little bit of a preview about, you know, what you're going to talk about and what are some of the challenges that we're facing. So um, I am the administrator of a seven-room OR for procedure room surgery center in New Jersey, and Jessica is my director of nursing. And we, about six months ago, we started to have significant anesthesia shortages. We were started to be asked to condense rooms to have doctors start later in the day. We've brought on CRNAs now. And have been working hand-in-hand with our medical director and our anesthesia team to condense rooms and to try to make it work. But it's becoming increasingly more difficult. And and hasn't it been a bit of a surprise that this happened very suddenly? I mean, I can remember a year ago we were saying, well, we get some problems with anesthesia. Uh, And again, not the providers. We're talking about the availability of it. I I don't want to leave an impression that our anesthesiologists are are not providing good services. It's really an issue of availability of those services. But now, it's like in the last three months, now it is the only thing we're talking about when we talk about the major issues. Yes. And it's a lot of centers around us are having the same exact issues. I mean, we're being approached about condensing our blocks now, cutting doctors' time down. Are we going to start earlier? Are we going to run later? And it's mixing with our staffing as well because that problem hasn't gone away either. So... And, and you're a large facility, so it does, it, it's an issue. As we were talking before we started recording, um, you, you have seven rooms, right? And you, yes. you just said you're trying to condense it down to five, which is one of the possible solutions here. Right. Uh, talk a little bit about how that how that's playing with the doctors, <laughs> first of all. Then we'll talk about our staff, but let's talk about the doctors. Well, it's a lot of brainstorming, going back and forth to the drawing board, because as we all know, they all have their set schedules and they love yeah. them. So it's, it's a game that we're playing right now, trying to fit everything in also you have to look at your equipment availability right. even if someone agrees to condense a room you still have to make sure you have the right staff and the right equipment to run the room right the other challenge for us as well as well is that not only condensing rooms um We've been asked recently to pay a stipend for our anesthesiologists, yeah. and that is going to be very difficult on surgery centers financially. Um, we've been looking at block time. We've been reorganizing block time. And, and this is a whole new angle for ASCs for the first time to have to look at really the profitability of cases and the profitability of physicians, what payer mixes are they bringing into the center, and how does the day pay for itself Mm -hmm. within an OR day? Is the the day a full profitable day? Is GI more profitable than orthopedics? It's making us look at things that I feel as an administrator I've never had to look at before. Well, and isn't it true that, I mean, there's been stipends talked about over the years. I've been 33 years in the industry, and in my beginning part of it, there were stipends often with surgery centers uh but the magnitude of those stipends now are unbelievable i, I mean i'll give you an example i think i mentioned it earlier you know bottom line of five hundred thousand dollars anesthesia groups looking for three hundred thousand dollars and and in many ways they might not have any choice but to do it because the only alternative is not being able to do the surgery at all not even be able to you know control your surgical time in other words you much rather take no profit or very limited profit just to be able to continue doing your business yeah it's a whole different way of having to look at planning your day and allowing cases and we're in a situation where we're trying to grow our business and yeah. bring in new providers and have new specialties because we do have such a large facility we're running around five to six hundred cases a month right now and and probably have the capacity to be able to 800 cases a month Absolutely. so it's it it's that very fine line of how do we grow and develop mm-hmm. you know our business and at the same time make it profitable and be able to have anesthesia providers are you able to now be able to take on a additional business or are you kind of in a holding pattern until this whole issue kind of gets resolved so what we were forced to do was to look at the profitability our center is a little bit different than normal centers. We have a lot of physicians that come to our center with only one day a uh, month. Yeah. Um, so it, it's not like we have the same physicians all the time. We have over 150 providers. Got it. Uh, we have maybe 30 to 40 that have continual block time. Yes. Yeah. And it's the other physicians that come to do cases that possibly they don't do general at their center 
or they might not take certain insurances that we're in network with and they bring those particular cases to us. And those are the cases that now we're saying, hey, you can't have a 730 start. You've got to come at one o'clock yeah. <laughs> because that's when we can fit you in. Right. And they take it willingly because they, the un, only other option is going someplace they don't want to work. Hospital, which yeah. no one wants to do right now. Yeah. Well, and it's not that they have an unlimited number of anesthesiologists either. I mean, they're going right. to have, and of course, right. they've got tougher and longer cases, which right. often require more of an anesthesiologist. Absolutely. That, that, I think, is the biggest problem is how do we grow these centers, especially with more cases that really need to be funneled to ASC and getting out right. of the hospitals and be able to provide the care that we that we want to provide. So, I, And I think what I'm also hearing here is that now you're having to, I mean, for the first time, make decisions about provide. I mean, I'm sure there are some providers that you're not going to be able to accommodate right. in the future. So you're kind of looking at those those that are going to make the more pro, most profit for you or, or be able to get you know, the most bang for the buck, you know, in a, in right. a time frame. You want people that spend an, an entire block as opposed yes. to the one-ups. Yeah, and that's where the new players are going to come in. Yeah. If, if they can provide that and do that, we'll have time for them. So tell me how it's going over with. So you, you went from an uh, all-anesthesia model to now partially uh, CRNAs also. Yes. How's that been working, and, and, and how's it going over with your your physicians? It's been working very well. Um, I would say communication is key. That was one of the biggest things when we started out. We communicated with our surgeons that it was going to be happening, so right. they were aware. Uh, we have had nothing but positive feedback from my end, right? We have a, our, our model is three to one. So we have one anesthesiologist with CR, three CRNAs. Um, the CRNAs have been wonderful. wonderful. Yeah. They've been wonderful. The only thing, the twist to this too, though, is that now that I'm getting involved with the finances, is that CRNAs, uh, a lot of them are per diems and locums. Yeah. And they are demanding very yeah. high paid salaries for the day. So... At some point, some of the um, per diem or locum actual physicians are a better bang for our buck, yeah. if you want to say. Is that interesting? CRNAs. Yeah, it yeah. is interesting. So, it does it really help? I'm not sure. How do you? How is this impacting your staff, your nursing staff, or you know, because obviously your days, the way your day is looking, is changing around. Well, our nursing staff, um, I mean, so far we've been able to work our schedule out to where it's not affecting them too greatly with working super late nights or anything like that. We've mm -hmm. really been able to efficiently crunch in our schedule so that it doesn't affect them. Yeah. Um, but just like everybody else, it's so hard to find staff right now. Our goal is to keep them right. happy and right. working with us. Right. <laughs> And our administration team is all nurses. Yes. So there's the other day I had my scrubs on and I was doing yeah. vitals in the OR. Jessica scrubbed into cases. Um, so we're, we're very actively working team members. Right. You know, but that takes you away from, uh, you know, I'm a regulatory guy. That takes you away from those things that, you know, that need to be done in order to maintain your license, your certification, as well as make sure that you're maintaining that high level of quality. Right. You know, because uh, the, 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 the more you're involved in those cases, the less somebody is out there keeping an eye on, you know, on that, uh, that those reports that you got to read. Absolutely. And if there's any qualified nurses or search techs out there, Livingston Surgical Center, send us your resume. Oh, yeah, I'm going to get in trouble for that, I can no. see. <laughs> so how how is your board, you know, dealing with these, uh, recognizing the problem, you know, listening to your suggestion? I'm assuming that you guys are the ones that are coming up with these unique solutions. How's that working with them? Right now, when it hasn't really affected anybody. It's the perspective of what's to come. Yeah. I think that everybody's very concerned about. I mean, everybody's very concerned about having to take the profits that we're making and give them to anesthesia yeah. to supplement their, their income, especially when a, a large majority of what we were uh, brought to the table was um, administrative fees. I think that as a physician... We're taking such good care of them and making sure that everything's running smoothly. They're not really being affected at right, this point. Right. And we haven't had to cancel cases. Very rarely we've moved other physicians that, again, are more one-off physicians to later in the day or non-730 starts. But um, 
right now I think it's really just coming down the pike as to what is going to happen and what's the reality of it. Yeah. We haven't gotten there yet. And I would say, too, our physicians that are not owners are used to this at other centers as well. It's right. nothing new to them, so I don't think it's a surprise. Yeah, and, and you're not alone. They're not alone here. Yeah, right. that, that make, it's not like you can jump to another center and everything will be much better. You're all in the same boat. Right. So you're you're going to speak. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see the question and answer period because most of the sessions have been, uh, you know, pretty. There haven't been a lot of questions so far. Right. I I got to bet that you're going to have. Uh, you'll probably be here until midnight answering questions. <laughs> so what do you think are I some? Hope of, not. <laughs> so what do you think are going to be some of the questions? And you know, how are you going to? You know, that, of course, we'll probably get some other advice or other centers that you know found other solutions. But what else? Are, you're, you're you're here in New Jersey. You know, we we don't get down here that often. What's the general feeling down I'm here. I'm really looking forward to the feedback of the other administrators. I'm on the um, governing board now, and right. when we were discussing program formatting, I was really interested in having an input session every single time we have a meeting, because as an administrator coming to these meetings yeah. for years, I want to I want to know what my peers are doing. Right. How are they solving problems, picking up tips? Um, <clears throat> so I'm really looking forward to seeing, finding out are all of the other anesthesiologists um, heavily embedded in the PAT and vetting process of right. the patients that are coming through? That was a big concern when we first got to our center, and we were really super involved in that and you know, making sure that we have the right clientele that are coming into the surgery centers and providing safe care. How, what the CRN, CRNA model is at other centers, and um, are they having to do the same thing, shuffle mm-hmm. around cases, close rooms? Right. Um, it's it's going to be, I'm looking forward to it, to find out what other people are doing, and then how we can rally as an association together to overcome this issue collectively. It was interesting. One of the earlier sessions, they were talking about the reportable events that occur in the state. And one of those is lack of staff. If you have yes. to collect down, did, did you catch that I too? Is like that one. I posted yeah, that. I mean, that would be very interesting to see when that data gets back to the Department of Health, if they're able to do anything with it. I mean, right. I'm not quite sure what the solution is, you know, you know, getting higher uh, anesthesia reimbursement, of course, will help. Right. But the tail on that is going to be so long. Right. You know, I mean, what we really want is we need more anesthesia providers in North CRNAs, um, but it's not like you can snap your finger and suddenly they show up, you know. I, I mean, in one sense, it's a grueling task and exercise on a daily basis, but it has been beneficial to the overall financial um, aspect of the center because you're really forced to look at this is how many staff I have, this is how many anesthesia um, providers I have, and this is how I'm going to plot my day. Like The attention to detail that's going into the scheduling right now has really helped us financially. That's a really interesting takeaway because now you've had to become more efficient with your resources. Absolutely. Even down to looking at same-day cancellations with the PAT process, it gets... Deeper to make sure deeper, that you're not more ev- you get into that it. those anesthesiologists yeah. are always working that right. you take so right. so that's an interesting let's delve into that just for a minute what other ways have you tried or are you experimenting with or you're thinking about that your staff can help make the anesthesiologists more efficient well we have having stocking anesthesia cards yeah. um, preparing for their day helping people with turnover time so we can get cases moved in a more rapid, right. safe pace. but The whole thing is being able thing. to get more... It, 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 yeah, like I just yeah. did a financial report and I was like, it's not about case volume right now, it's about quality over quantity. Yeah, right, right. right. And, right. And, and having, you know, the correct cases and the correct providers and the correct staff. So yeah, the, more, the attention to detail, we're at a point right now, like year to date for staffing and medical supplies, we're under budget greatly. Wow. So that's... That is a plus. Yeah. yeah. Been a plus, you know. That's us. an interesting take on it. I, I, you know, you're kind of basically saying that you've been forced to become more efficient, right? Because you, the more efficient you are, the easier it is for the uh, for you to to fit the the anesthesiologist or the cases into the anesthesiologist you have and and staffing. But yeah, yeah. I guess that's one. You know, there's a golden lining and everything. Right, right. Like that's our little <laughs> yeah. our silver lining. It is. <laughs> silver lining. I mean, silver lining us being it. involved more in the rooms, yes. while it does take us away from regulatory right things, it. it it is teaching us more, working with the staff, seeing what they're doing, how they're doing it, and how these physicians are working. It's taught us a lot. 
Well, and, and it frees you up. I mean, eventually you'll, because doing it means that you're going to be able to find ways to improve that efficiency. Correct. Right. Efficiency Absolutely. also. And it has really developed um, a very tight team. Yes. You know, when you're back there and you're working together with your team all the time and they see, you know, hey, it doesn't look like I'm going to get a lunch today. And she pops in and we make sure they get that lunch and we take care of them. Um, has provided a really positive culture at our center. So right. Those are the good takeaways, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's a good way to end it. I always try to end it on a positive note. Positive note. <laughs> Elizabeth and Jessica, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so much for having you. Super fun. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. In this segment, we provide an update on upcoming topics for the podcast, our virtual conferences, and upcoming speaking engagements for John and his staff and other events in the ASC industry. So ASCA 2024 will be at the Gaylord Palms Resort and Convention Center in Orlando, Florida, uh, April 17th through the 20th, 2024. And I'll be uh, moderating a session there, and I'll be uh, doing a session on uh, financial projections. Uh, and uh, we always have a lot of fun at ASCA um, conferences and especially meeting all of our listeners. So hopefully mm-hmm. uh, you'll be heading over to the ASCA website and signing up. And the Georgia Society of ASCs and South Carolina ASC Association's joint semi-annual conference and trade shows are February 22nd through 23rd at the Atlanta, Georgia, Western Atlanta Perimeter North and August 15th through 16th in Hilton Head, South Carolina, Marriott Hilton Head Resort and Spa. And maybe we'll head down there, Sue, because that's uh, uh, mm-hmm. we, we have a resort right next door to that, mm-hmm. so it would be very convenient. And the Gulf States uh, Conference, which includes Alabama, Arkansas, Louisiana, and Mississippi, will be June 11th through the 13th, 2024, in Biloxi, Mississippi, at the Beau Rivage, Rivage uh, Resort and Casino. The Florida Society of Ambulatory Surgical Centers Quality and Risk Management Conference is April 4th through the 5th, 2024 in Daytona Beach, Florida, the Hilton Oceanfront Resort, and their annual conference and trade show is July 17th through the 19th, 2024 in Orlando, Florida, the Signia by Hilton, Orlando, Bonnet Creek. And the Tennessee Ambulatory Surgery Center Association's conference will be September 12th and 13th. 2024 in Chattanooga, Tennessee at the Chattanoogan. And don't forget about our upcoming boot camps. The uh, uh, Administrator's Boot Camp will be January 23rd through 26, 2024. And our second ever Business Office Manager Boot Camp will be March 12th through 15th, 2024. And don't forget about our Credentialing, Privileging, and Peer Review Conference, which is going to be January 11th through 12th, 2024. And as we mentioned earlier, this is an update to our 2020 conference. Uh, for, on the same topic, but it is longer. We're going to do a 12-hour session, a total of 12 hours instead uh-huh. of the eight hours from the previous one. And that will be a very popular conference, we're, we're, we're pretty sure, so uh, sign up quickly. And you can go to asc-central.com to sign up, and we'll provide some uh, links in the show notes. And on-demand versions of the ASC Director of Nursing, the ASC Administrators Boot Camp, and our Business Office Managers Boot Camp are available on our sister website at asc-central.com. And you might also be interested in our June 2023 on-demand version of our multi-state conference, which is eligible for 16 AEUs and 4 IPCH credits. So if you're getting toward the end of the year and you're missing some credits, this is a very cost-effective way of of uh, not only um, getting your AEU credits, but also learning a lot. This was a great conference, very well received, and it included a, a lot of great sessions on infection control, life safety, survey preparation, human resources, uh, an introduction to the Medicare ASC payment system, a discussion about pharmacy, and a discussion about ph- uh, staff retention. And we're already planning for the uh, June 2024 uh, multi-state conference, and we're working with a number of state associations. We'll have more uh, state associations, I'm pretty sure, joining us this year. 
And a reminder to everyone to become a patron member of the podcast. The patron member program is an exclusive membership website that provides a one-stop ASC regulatory and accreditation compliance operations and financial management resource for busy administrators, nurse managers, and business office managers. And resources include access to many of our virtual conferences, uh, various links to important information, policies and procedures, forms, and fire disaster drills. And membership helps to defray the cost of producing the podcast, including our wonderful research staff, our travel costs to conferences, the expensive equipment that uh, we, we have to maintain to keep this uh, program going, uh, as well as the production costs. And for more information, you can visit asc-central.com or ascpodcast.com. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Galen. If you found this episode informative, please uh, share it with your friends and colleagues in the ASC industry. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss a single episode. And we'd love any feedback for, about our episodes or ideas for future episodes by sending us an email at comments at ASCpodcast.com. We'd like to give a special thank you to our great team here who make this podcast possible. Our sound editor, Susan Cronkite, our executive producer, John Gailey, and our dedicated research team over at Ambitory Healthcare Strategies, Susan Cronkite, Jenna Alvarez, Judy D'Ambrosio, Alex Borneman, Zach Calritis, Jim Masters, Amy Durbano, Lori Rodericks, Kathy Foti, Donna Macchio, and Christina Norman. Our music is provided by Media Sushi and Mike Noah, and the ASC Podcast with John Gailey is hosted on Podbean and is available on all major podcast platforms. Thanks for listening. This episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey is sponsored by Surgical Information Systems, Trivalence, and Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. Surgical Information Systems provides cutting-edge information solutions for surgery providers. Trivalence offers a comprehensive next-generation ASC solution that optimizes payment and supply chain performance, enabling actionable insights. Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies is the nation's leading regulatory and accreditation compliance resource for ambulatory surgery centers. For more information about our sponsors, visit our website at ASCpodcast.com. This podcast is an educational and operational tool and is not intended to be a comprehensive resource for all rules, regulations, and standards that an ambulatory surgery center must meet. The advice provided should not be considered as, nor does it constitute, legal advice or opinion. When reviewing specific situations involving legal and regulatory issues, attorneys and other professionals should be consulted. This has been a production of Eden Group Development. All rights are reserved. If you are interested in advertising or sponsoring the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, please email us at info at ASCpodcast.com. We would love to hear your questions and comments. Please email us at comments at ASCpodcast.com.